Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I'm joined with my lovely co-host, pop culture critic, dumpster raccoon, and doctor. Anthony Oliveira. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Hi, Anthony. <laughs> How are you, Ian? Anthony, it's been so long since I've heard your voice. It's, it's been, been a like, hot minute. Yeah, it has. I, I feel like this is the longest we've gone without recording together. Is that true? That right? might be true. Yeah, it's been, be. especially this year. Yeah. <laughs> Season yeah. six, we made it, everybody. <laughs> we finally finished Buffy season six and decided to take a little break with X-Men here, which I felt like was on brand for most of us that are, most of y'all that are like my co-hosts. And Oh yeah, I feel like that is a, a thick overlap in the Venn diagram. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> uh, and today we are joined by journalist at Decider.com. Brett White, hello. Hey Brett, how's hey. it going? Great. <laughs> and we have senior culture reporter at Vox. Alex Sabad Santos. Welcome, welcome. And we have author of Avengers Assembly Orientation. Preeti Chibber, hi. Hello, hi. thank you all for joining us. This is going to be fun. Are we all X-Men heads? <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting in my office where fully an entire wall is devoted to the X-Men. So, <laughs> I mean... Before yes. we recorded, Brett mentioned that he posted a picture on Twitter of his what he has in front of him, and I looked, and it is beautiful. It's all his yeah. X-Men action figures. Well, I mean, oh, not all, just the nine wow. that are featured in the cartoon. <laughs> I have way too many. I have hundreds more in my office. Brett, I always feel like we would have been best friends as kids because we always post like the same fucking nerdy photos of our Marvel action figures that we get. Yep. <laughs> Hasn't changed in 27 years. Are you guys getting yeah, those, sen- that giant Sentinel that they're putting out that like I subscription Sentinel? <laughs> I have, I have a New York apartment. I do not have room for a right. two foot. It's like a roommate. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a, it's Is a it child. like a my size Barbie style Sentinel? Is yeah. That it's like a subscription it really where you have to like, if they get enough names, they'll produce it. And they're like massively overfunded already. So they're adding all these yeah. things. But it's like six feet tall. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. It is to scale with the six inch Marvel Legends figures, which yeah. is already like way too big. Yeah. It scans yeah. your DNA in real time. <laughs> I was wondering if you got that, Brett, because I really toyed with it. I was like, oh, I mean, it's so cool. But like, where would I put it? My Marvel Legends shelf right now, I have like three shelves and there's just, there's nowhere I put it. Like it wouldn't fit. So I don't know, like, but I want it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're here today to talk about the first arc in the X-Men animated series, Night of the Sentinels. But before we get into that, I wanted to, usually we do like a Buffy origin. I wanted to talk about our X-Men the animated series origin. Anthony, I don't know if you remember when it was first on your radar. I I can remember the first time X-Men in general was on my radar, was playing that arcade game. And oh my god, that so... arcade game right? was legendary. I used to go to the, it was like the sports equipment massive warehouse, and they had that arcade game, and I would just spend like eight hours a day. I, I once put $40 and quarters into that game to beat it. Hell. <laughs> it's, it's one of the only, I think, only arcade games that I beat multiple times. Like, I remember, like, because I knew the whole thing, I played it so much. But I didn't know that it was a comic book. Like I thought it was just like these characters are made up for this video game. And I was always excited that I could play as Storm or Dazzler, because like, especially in video games back then, like you could never play is like I had Chun Li and then those two. And that was it that I could play as. Um, and I would like play 
with my Barbies as X Men, though. Like mm. I would make the Barbie Storm the and gay Batman. experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember when I played that arcade game, and some kid was on Storm or Dazzler. I would walk around the mall and come back until they left, <laughs> just waiting so I could be Storm or Dazzler. It's the very like butch Dazzler look, right? It's the oh, little yeah, Australia no, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she has the, the she has the hair jacket and mm-hmm. the well, the bomber jacket, the short haircut, the and the one the little headband. I'm a little biased, so like that's my favorite Dazzler look, and I'm pretty sure it's because of that arcade game. No like, I just... way, the blue eyes with the roller skates every time. <laughs> See, it's like that's. Oh my, like I love that, but I like I like when they would do something where like they give her the blue Bowie makeup, but then give her that little like jumpsuit and jacket. Like for me, I like the combination of the two. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, it's probably because of that arcade game. Like for me, it was like, oh, like we got like the like cool butch and then the cool femme, and like you still play as both, and they both had like cool powers. Though Storm had that weird pole thing, which I don't. Yeah, she had like a scepter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <Right>. true queen. <laughs> true, yes. Is that does that have uh, any basis in anything? Where did she get that? Thing? No, no. I, didn't I think, think it was just cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell. I mean, how do you improve on Storm? You give her like a full mallet that she just wails on you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can remember like when the cartoon. I don't remember if it was like I saw an advertisement or something, but it was like, oh, that's that arcade game I really liked. And then my mom we would always go to like a Sam's I think it was BJ's back then. I always go to like those places and they had like these like giant packs of comics, just saran wrapped. And a lot of the times it'd be like 10 of the same issue in that 50 pack. But I remember seeing that it was like all around the same time. My mom being like, yeah, sure. You can get one of those. Cause they were like super cheap, especially back then. And just like me absorbing all of them. And then the ones that were doubles, I would cut out the pictures and put on my wall. Uh, and then I just like loved the X-Men cartoon like immediately, but, and I still have to do this cause I'm a fucking nerd, but I used to have to get allergy shots weekly. And the only time my parents would bring me were Saturdays. So my dad would have to like VHS tape the X-Men cartoon. Aww. Schedule a different time. <laughs> come on. And then I would come home and watch it immediately. And it would be like the highlight of my day. It was like my yeah. reward after my shot. <laughs> oh my God. Um, that, Anthony, we, we have very different dad stories involving the X-Men. Uh, <laughs> oh but it's funny because it sounds to me like you you don't know that the X-Men arcade game is actually itself um, oh, no, yeah. made from the cartoon because it's the Pride of the X-Men cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought of having us do an episode on Pride of the X-Men. <laughs> so with good. Australian Wolverine. Oh, so <laughs> good. <laughs> so good. So good. I've, but Anthony, do you remember your first exposure to the cartoon? To the cartoon, yes. I was. Um, yeah. This is one of those. This is going to be one of those stories. It's full of moments where I'm like, do do Americans have like okay, <laughs> Americans have like Scholastic book fairs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Anthony, you know I worked at Scholastic for like a decade I, in the like clubs and fairs. Oh my god, did you? That is like honestly like the high point of my childhood was the Scholastic <laughs> book fair. Aww. Like my happiest memories were like the Scholastic book fair and filling out my book it button so I could get my free mm-hmm. pizza at Pizza Hut. Those are. My <laughs> 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 um, but at one of those, I was a spy. I grew up. I started on Spider Man was my first comic because uh, a Spider Man comic came in a jar of peanut butter. I think I've talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> um, where he fought Electro in Montreal because Electro was dealing drugs inside hockey pucks. Not a very, <laughs> not a very on character <laughs> Electro activity, but whatever. Um, 
But then I went to the Scholastic Book Fair and there was no Spider-Man content, but there was something from Marvel that was called the X-Men. Um, and I read this book that was like basically one of those handbooks, like here's who Wolverine is, here's who Magneto is. Right, yeah. But there were very few pictures, so I had to like imagine what these people looked like, but I became obsessed with them. And then the X-Men cartoon was announced on again. Do do Americans have Fox Kids? Was that a thing? Oh yeah, they, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was maybe a regional thing. I thought maybe it was like Buffalo Kids. There were only. different. There were different. Like your local network had its own Fox Kids Club because I was a member of like the Fox Seventeen Kids Club. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and I would yeah, get Fox, Fox Twenty Nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would get the feed from Buffalo. I keep waiting for you to say something shitty. Like, do Americans have? Health care. Oh no! <laughs> Don't pick a man when he's down. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I was like, oh my god, that cartoon's gonna happen. I was so excited. I couldn't sleep the night before. It was gonna be on at eleven a.m., which is early for me still. Um, <laughs> but I was so excited. It was two part night of the Sentinel, um, and I got to watch right up until the moment when the president shows up, which maybe we will talk about during this episode. And my dad was like, a woman president, and he made me change the channel. So that's, oh God, really? <laughs> so that's my X-Men cartoon origin story. Oh, God. <laughs> that like hurt real deep. <laughs> that took like the biggest turn. We went from allergy shots to a woman president on this show. Never. This show is very progressive. I mean. <laughs> it, it is. Um, Preeti, do you remember your X-Men animated series origin story? Uh, I assume. So it's kind of guessing. I have an older brother and a lot of my my like geek culture stuff came from what he was doing and and me wanting to be cool enough to hang out with him. Uh, and so I likely, I remember the, the arcade game as well, like much more than the actual cartoon. Like the cartoon in my head is very much like the theme song and Rogue and like, that's it. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I remember from it. Cause I was, I, I feel like I probably watched it along with like all the Saturday morning cartoons, like Doug and, and, mm-hmm. All of that was all like grouped together and like kind of mishmash. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, it was so long ago. <laughs> Anthony and I are a little. And Brett, you're you're my age, right, Brett? I'm, I'm thirty. I just turned thirty six. Yeah. I'm Me too. I just turned thirty six. Like I, this week. Same. Thirty seven. <laughs> Alex, did you say you're thirty seven? Thirty seven. Yeah. Great. So we're the same age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anthony, isn't it nice? This is one of the first times I think we've had everyone that's close to our age on the podcast as well. I like being 36. It's my my favorite age I've been. The beard is starting to go white. It's perfect. <laughs> I have invested in beard dye. So, so no, great beard is great. Let it go. Let it, it go. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Now it's like only on my chin. It's like literally just like just my chin. That's hot. You gray. want like patches. I want the Reed Richards stripes. That's what I really yeah. want. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great for you. Um, <laughs> Alex, do you remember your uh, first exposure to this animated series? Yes. Um, so I grew up watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which was oh the, which was like Spider-Man, Iceman, Firestar. And they had this special, they would have special X-Men episodes, like two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And one was a Firestar is born and she like makes up this origin story of like, oh, I was with the X-Men before I became your friend, Spider-Man. And then like they go to the X, they fight the juggernaut, I think. Hopefully, maybe we can fact check this. But basically I'm like, and they introduce Storm and I'm like, oh my God, who is that? And it's, <laughs> she barely has, she says like five words, tries to electrocute juggernaut, doesn't work. And I'm like, 
okay. And I guess that imprinted on me. And then I saw, I saw Pride of the X-Men and I'm like, wow, there she is again. Why isn't she doing more stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Who is this woman? I need to know more about her. And then, uh, and then I started collecting X-Men cards because I think my parents were just like, not about like the comic book life, but I got my X-Men cards and I remember, um, I got them taken away because <laughs> the parents, because uh, my teacher saw them and she, they saw Psylocke and you know, like oh, in the 90s. Yeah. 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 Psylocke was very Psylocke and it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, and they just took him away and I'm like, but I'm a homo, I'm a little baby homosexual. So I did, Psylocke does nothing for me. But anyway, we get to, and then, and, and uh, yeah, I, I want to say it was like, Somewhere around the sixth grade, I found the animated series. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I wish there was more Dazzler, but there's a lot of Storm, and yes. I'm quite happy. You, that's actually funny. I got in trouble in fifth grade because I drew I like drew a like picture of Psylocke and Jubilee. That, like, you know, <laughs> it's always Psylocke. Bad. It's always yeah. Psylocke. And the teacher, like... <laughs> called my mom to say like I was drawing like sexy women and I remember being like but it's not that way and no one believed me I love that this very innocent question is just like boiling all these traumas (laughs) (laughs) and uh Brett so welcome to my TED talk (laughs) so like I you know I was a TV child I mean you know I think everyone that grew up in the late eighties, early nineties was just sat in front of the TV all the time. Especially if you had cable. And so I considered myself like a, I don't know, amateur scholar of pop culture because I knew every TV show. I thought I knew every franchise, thought I knew everything, thought I was hot shit. And then this, this cartoon comes on Fox on Saturday morning. And I was like, what is this? Why are they acting like I a God? How old was I? Uh, eight. <laughs> like I'm eight. I should have heard of this if it mattered. You know, <laughs> like it was very. Like, I remember being very indignant about like, and I'm still like this. I was like, this cartoon is acting like I should know what it is, and I don't. So that means I don't like it. Oh. But I couldn't be. I couldn't deny it. Um, and it. Uh, it. I mean, it changed my life. This cartoon absolutely changed how i viewed television i mean i wrote an article for decider at the 25th anniversary about how this was the first ever serialized storytelling that i ever got into um because like i was obsessed with gi joe and ninja turtles but like those were episodic flights of fancy (laughs) whereas x-men season one is hardcore serialized with like character growth and returning villains and like simmering plots and it's it just it was the first ever appointment television I ever had. And I just completely went insane over X-Men. And it was the perfect time to, because Pizza Hut was just cranking out <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> stickers, man. <laughs> oh, like, uh. um, but then I also, I was obsessed with that arcade game because they had it like the Walmart and the mall. And so I would always go and I was always Nightcrawler. He was, even though yes! Night- Nightcrawler was never <laughs> in the cartoon. Uh, the Well, he was in it every now and then. Um, but I loved him in that game. And he's the only character I play to this day. Um, because you, you better believe every time I go to arcade, I go straight for that game. Um, Colossus, man. He's like a hot buff dude who explodes <laughs> and yells at you. It's my favorite thing. 
Yeah, if Nightcrawler's power, he can like zip around and he kills all the bad guys immediately. So, I, but I get a funny feeling when I see Colossus do that. <laughs> <laughs> also, because he um flashes to flesh for a hot second, yeah, exactly. And he's not wearing the blue thigh coverings oh, like they boy. make him do in comic books, which is homophobia. This is actually perfect because <laughs> it means we could actually just all buy this arcade game and we could all have our favorite character to play at the yeah. same time. No one's fighting for a different the same character. Well, Alex and I might have to decide who gets to be Dazzler and who gets to be Storm, though. <laughs> yeah, we have to fight over the purple tornado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I love that. Um, I love that we all played that game because I feel like it really was, like, if you had arcade games, that was always there, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, like, I remember every Boardwalk arcade on the Jersey Shore, oh, like, every one of them had that game. So, like, if one was packed, I'd be like, I can just wait till we go to the next arcade. Like, you know, two buildings down, and they'll have it, and I can play. And that's how I would just, like, I would always spend my time playing. I didn't care about, like, winning a stuffed animal that I didn't care about. I always just wanted to play that X-Men game. Our, my office, like, our team decider went before the holiday party in December. We went, we pre-gamed at, like, a barcade down, like, 23rd Street or, like, in Chelsea or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And every time I go to any type of, like, a modern adult place with video games, you know, that's that's primed towards a nostalgia of people like me, um, I do a pass to find the X-Men game if they have it. And then if they do have it, I just plunk down... I went and everyone else was doing whatever the fuck. I don't know. And I was just at that video game with like a stack full of quarters. My boss had given me and just like playing it until my are my arms and hands are just like (laughs) cramped and throbbing. And this was, you know, December. (laughs) Like I still do that. It's the only video game I give a remote fuck about. But it's still the one I feel like even at, I know exactly which barcade you're talking about. And it's like, you go to that barcade and you're like, I just want to play the X-Men game. And there's always somebody at that that X-Men game with a stack of quarters. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be here for four hours just waiting to play this game. And I'm like, don't y'all know who I am? I am BSW. You played it. You see Nightcrawler. BSW is number one. Because that is how I roll. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I've been to like when I lived in New York. I was I went to like five different birthday parties at that barcade, and it would always be that's all Ian plays is that. And then I, I sometimes would take a break and play like the really weird Street Fighter movie game that they have. <laughs> Because they have like Ming, you can play as Ming Na Wen or Kylie Minogue. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but so we're here to talk about Night of the Sentinels. Anthony, I think is is twenty minutes the longest we've lasted before getting into oh, the episode we're talking you know, about. What's what's a what's a new record? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'd be we, are, we were amiss. point adjacent, you know, like we were talking yeah, about X Men. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so I mean, I gotta say, I mean, I'm sure we all agree. The I mean, Preeti, you mentioned it already. The theme song is just. I don't know a better theme song. I just don't. <laughs> Legendary. Although really Whitney Houston should have received yeah. a check every week because yeah. it is such a blatant rip I'm your baby tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that as a child because also, I'm your baby tonight was on the radio in 1992. Like it was omnipresent as well as X-Men. But it did. It was ripe for an industrial theme. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> because I did. That's funny. I looked up. Like, just like, you know, I was looking up random stuff about this before we did the episode. And I did find there was like a, and now, of course, immediately forgetting, there was like an old cop comedy drama, I want to say. Oh, in oh like, yeah. 
Yeah, and it was they like accused... a, a Canadian. It was, I, well, I don't know if it was an American one. Wasn't it like Germany or something? It was German. Yeah, it was German. like something yeah, somewhere over the seas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they accused, but it wasn't till like much later, right, Brett? Like they yeah. didn't find out. I think until like 2000 or something. And whoever composed that theme song tried to sue like Fox, Marvel, and everyone involved <laughs> because they said it was a ripoff. And I listened to both. I could kind of see it, but uh, I always like especially with stuff like that i'm like yeah but we all have like similar thoughts like it's not crazy that it would sound and it's, i feel like the theme songs of that time are all kind of like i was watching this recently and i was like man this really really brings to mind the 90210 theme song like very <laughs> very intensely <laughs> yeah right like that's just kind of how they all sounded just heavy metal guitar like yeah we're wailing yeah now but uh, I like I remember loving the theme song as a kid. I didn't always love a theme song unless like, you know, as a kid kid, it was like, oh, like Tiny Toons, sure. But that was like you liked it for what it was. But this I remember being like, this is cool. Like thinking like the guitar riffs were so cool. <laughs> I, I even found on YouTube there's like 10 different versions of like bands of, recreating the theme song. So good. So good. <laughs> well, even just like the the animation for the opening credits, how it goes through literally, I mean, it's like perfect for kids because it's like here are all nine major characters. We're going to get, here's their logo, their personalized logo, them doing an action thing or like <laughs> winking at the camera. And then it runs through it again of all of them like in action shots. And it isn't just animation from the cartoon. It is completely original. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And and like that story, t- like I remember as a kid when it does that, like when they rush at each other, I was like, yeah. I remember being like, oh my God, I can't wait to find out who that guy is and that guy is. Like, <laughs> why all is of Thunderbirds the- here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Brett, <laughs> was it your article that you wrote about this where you were like, that one character, that's not a character? Because there's like a dude in a green jumpsuit. Oh, yeah. There's like a dude in a green jumpsuit with like a pink head. And it's like, that's yeah. someone that the, <laughs> the like, international animators just like tossed in there. <laughs> Like, we need one more person. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, "Mm, go ahead. That's fine. Jumpsuit guy. Great. It's like the 60s Batman opening. I was always bothered by the fact that one of them is just that weird guy in the, like, lizard mask. It's like, that's not a Batman villain. (laughs) (laughs) So I was wondering what everyone felt about the animation, because I feel like I see a lot of conflicted, like, I see a lot of conflicting opinions on Twitter, um, especially with a lot of our mutuals, Alex. Um, I think... (laughs) I think maybe the animation is of its time, but I think the art is like the closest to looking like a comic book. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What is ever, I'm curious what you all think about the art. I think, I think it's, I, so- Oh, please. I, I, I'm going to dominate. So you please, please go. I've been waiting 25 years for this. <laughs> yeah, pretty. I'll go real fast. I'm very succinct. Uh, I just thought it, I think it's really cool. I think uh, something that struck me, at least at these first two episodes is, perspective and how they use perspective is really interesting and very very comic book like which i agree completely it feels like one of the most comic booky centric animated series brett (laughs) so um i i think that if the storytelling and character work was not as laser sharp and just to be honest the hands down literal best adaptation of the x-men period has ever existed is maybe these two episodes definitely season one of this cartoon that is me throwing down a gauntlet but i think that if that was not as sharp we could clock like why is morph's jacket going from a trench coat to a bomber <laughs> not a good thing why are lasers coming out of the 
back, middle of Sentinel hand. <laughs> See, but it's still so comic booky. Yeah, and like it's very yeah. like yeah, Rob Liefeld in a way. But like I think that <laughs> what I I think that the mix of incredibly, incredibly, incredibly advanced character work and serialized storytelling and like nuanced interpersonal dynamics like that little glimpse we get of like rogue talking about how her, uh, how her father was essentially abusive mm, yeah. when he's like mm-hmm. why is that in this saturday morning cartoon like that contrasted with the very like fast and loose animation i wrote an article i think the same one i keep talking about that it feels very punk rock it feels very like this is fast and loose and hard and it is like it is um it, this is like the story that need to be told right now. We didn't have time to do like really great animation. <laughs> We're just here to like give you the pure distilled edgy, like rock and roll vibe of this show. And that's why I think that it is perfect. Even though there are hilarious things like the guards costumes changing between episodes and they snap the rerun. Alex, what do you think? I think, when you're a kid, it was just like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what Storm is doing. Like, she's like throwing lightning bolts in one, but she has like, she's changing her costume and doing like a drag race reveal. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. And then you read back and you're like, oh yeah, there was a lot of shit that was fucked up because like the animators were just like not, cha- like they they outsourced it and there were conflicts and they were trying to fix it last minute. And like they went, to, went through all this like, I don't know. I went through all this turmoil and you're just like, oh. but when you're a kid, you're like, this is rad. This is awesome. I don't care about these things. Um, <laughs> and I think, and you don't, and you don't notice it because the writing and the characters and the voice acting is so like voice acting is over the top, but it's so sharp. Exactly. And like it, if this had the writing quality of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which I mean, no shade towards that, but like, the writing <laughs> um, I think we would all be like, this cartoon sucks. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> or if yeah, it had I, like i keep thinking like if it had like the animators of like uh what was it wolverine and the x-men yeah which i'm kind of like eh, another thing about wolverine but like that was really that was awesome because that was a kind of like a bait and switch it ended up being more about emma anyway yeah, um, he's barely in it <laughs> wolverine <laughs> is barely in wolverine and the x-men <laughs> but uh but yeah if it had better animation it would be I, I don't know. I I've, I just keep wondering, like, oh yeah, I'd probably still watch it, and I'd probably still like be like, I, like this was a, this was an amazing thing. But yeah, I think some of the some of the goofs I feel like though make it more lovable. Like I don't care sometimes that like sometimes Storm's eyes don't match up with her powers. And, like, <laughs> it's like oh, this is like this. It's like the sweet innocence of like the nineties of like okay, maybe stuff like didn't work out the way it was supposed yeah. to. Yeah. And so the episode begins with focusing on Jubilee. And I credit this cartoon with my love for Jubilee. Like, I I have no, I don't pretend to love her because, you know, as a huge fan of the comics at the time, like, this cartoon is what got me into the comics. I wanted to be Jubilee. Like, she was, I'm slightly older than I was at the time, but it was still like, oh, she's the kid. And she, like, isn't understood by her parents. And then she meets all these like-minded folks that, like, want to bring her into their fold and are cool superheroes and wear cool costumes and live in a mansion. Like I wanted to be Jubilee. And I, I think that it was a really smart way. I often hope that when MCU does their X-Men, they kind of take cues from this first arc. Cause I mm-hmm. think this, the, the outline is there. Like, I think if they just use this outline and okay, maybe change some of the characters, update 
the some of the plots i think it would work so well because i don't need i don't need x-men first class i don't need a movie where it's like oh let's try like i just need it to be like a new person is meeting the x-men and that's the plot i think that would be a really great plot um but I, I love that they focus on Jubilee and I love that she's upset. She's still sassy. She's still very in her 90s outfit. I like that her X-Men yeah, costume is her everyday outfit. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. I love that her government ID has her sunglasses down. I'm like, oh, sure. <laughs> Coolest, most badass like government ID ever. And the most 90s. Just the most yes. like oh. wonderfully, wonderfully teen girl in the 90s. <laughs> like it's so a, perfect it's an and over the it. shoulder it's so great <laughs> i love that her like x-men uniform is her just outfit that she was, <laughs> has been wearing and also <laughs> the same for gambit too which is also very yes. weird <laughs> yeah he's shopping in his face bra yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is interesting like which uh which x-men gets mall outfits and which ones don't like right. cyclops has no mall outfit <laughs> But like yeah. Rogue and Rogue and Storm Def have mall, like mall outfits. I think Cyclops is waiting in the car. Like he's literally in the parking lot. Like, yeah, hey, kids, go off into the mall. I'll be here. In the <laughs> he seems to be standing in the parking lot until Jubilee runs into him. Yeah, that's because he's like, I don't want to deal with teens at the mall. <laughs> I which, want to see which fair. Yeah, like pre watching this and watching like the first. I paused it about like six minutes in, and I was just like, this is it the first six minutes of this episode is literally every single thing that i love about the x-men writ large like Mm -hmm. it is all of it is right there and the fact that it starts out so hard with like you know uh government persecution of mutants prejudice minority hate group um you know just like kid who doesn't understand her body um and then the mall because the mall is a fucking essential part of the x-men and then also (laughs) (laughs) badass women like the fact that the very first two x-men you meet are rogue and storm who then wreck fucking shop on that sentinel (laughs) like flipping that escalator and just like punching the shit i just oh my god it just makes me so happy yeah i I will say i i took three pages of notes and a page and a half are just about this mall scene (laughs) (laughs) wait is there an episode beyond the mall scene because (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well the whole thing is so audacious right like even the idea i was sitting there like thinking like okay if, as a writer if they were like you have to do the first episode of x-men i think it's so audacious to be like we're not doing magneto first we're mm-hmm. doing the yeah. sentinels first because that is actually the problem and you actually can't understand magneto until you've seen the sentinels episode because you need to understand just how bad the persecution is and just how high the stakes are like it is crazy to me that the plot of this children's cartoon, the first episode, is let's break into a government facility and destroy their records. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because they're colluding with monsters to, or like monster robots to murder innocent people. But isn't that the whole thing? Like I watched this and I was like, how does anyone not believe in human rights? Like how does anyone, <laughs> like how did anyone grow up on X-Men or any of these like superheroes and not look at it and be like, as a kid, obviously like, there are a lot of issues in terms of how X-Men represent marginalization, like whatever. But how do you watch this? And as a kid, you don't get the lesson of like, that's bad. Yeah, right? <laughs> but just like footage of Beast fully dumping boxes into a fire. It's just like, okay. <laughs> uh, so. I forgot. And I've, I've rewatched it. I like literally got, 
I wasn't going to get Disney Plus. So I was like, you know, oh no, like I don't need another streaming platform. I don't need to support Disney. They don't need my money. And then I think like I didn't realize until like the week it was coming out that they were going to be the X-Men animated series. And so literally I was like, oh wait, now I'm going to buy it. And I watched, I watched the series as like a background a lot. But rewatching it for this, my brain confused that they go literally, like you said, just to dump those files in fire. And my head <laughs> went there to save Jubilee, but no, they go there to destroy files. No, because like it, they kind of just like, well, uh, Jubilee ran away, but this is way more important, so we'll deal yeah. with that later. And Wolverine's like, "What the fuck, you guys? She's hell." <laughs> <laughs> it's legit like lives of the many versus lives yeah. of the few. <laughs> Yeah, she's in a different facility. She's not in yeah. that records office. Yeah, yeah. She looks like yeah. she's in like a um, like a U-Haul storage or something. <laughs> she probably yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Isn't she in Detroit? Like that? Isn't that they're like yeah. we took you to Michigan? <laughs> well, I feel like a car but, manufacturing plant could easily be repurposed into giant killer robots. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a variable so, size. They are one of the goofy animation things. Is like every frame the Sentinel is somewhere between twelve and fifty feet tall. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that when Wolverine jumps on one in part two, it's like, yeah. oh, that Sentinel's not that much taller than him. No, but my favorite, my favorite shot of any Sentinel is when it's like peeking out from around the corner of a house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like the following Cyclops sneaking up behind him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He gets right behind her before she notices he's there. Like, <laughs> so perfect. Uh, but so going back to the mall scene, because I still have a lot to say about the mall scene. <laughs> so I think for me, like, and this is going to be cheating for the end of the episode, my favorite, like the encapsulation of what I love about the X-Men is the moment Jubilee gets swat, like, like captured in that coil that the Sentinel has and Storm and Rogue come up. And I feel like, and Brett, I know you have referenced the article, but I also reread your article because I fucking love that article you wrote. <laughs> I like read it before we knew each other and was like, I love this person. I don't know who they are. Um, and I think that's like the perfect encapsulation of the X-Men. And it's just, you know, we get Storm giving her speech and it is a little silly, but then Rogue immediately undercuts it with like, lighten up on the speech issue. And, it's, <laughs> and it just hauls off and slugs it in the face. Yes, I love what I loved so much about Anna Paquin during the Days of Future Past press tour was basically she, after playing Rogue for like 15 years, you could tell that she was getting to the point of just like, just have me fucking fly and punch a robot in the face. <laughs> God damn it. Like she, she, I could tell she was basically like dancing around that. And that is what makes me so angry about like movie Rogue is like, this is the best Rogue has ever been. Agreed. Period. Piri- uh, and I also think this is the absolute best that Gambit has ever ever been also agreed Um, (laughs) the characterizations on this show the fact that beast is going around quoting like john wesley because also he's a there's another guy named john wesley whose file he finds that like spurs him to recite poetry (laughs) (laughs) my favorite thing about that rogue interaction is that it sets the tone for the entire series like yes. every time you see Storm, you know that there's going to be a speech of where the Arctic wings are coming from. <laughs> and it's just like this amazing characterization of just like, okay, this is their relationship. Like, like Rogue's a little bit of, uh, I don't know. Like she it's there's... Devereaux with superpowers, essentially. <laughs> yeah. I feel like she's doing a Dolly Parton impression. I've never oh, noticed yeah. until now, because they're all very Canadian. Like it's yeah. stunning how Canadian their accents are. <laughs> But I feel like she was just like, okay, what if Dolly Parton had superpowers? Which is amazing. Yeah, that's it. That's the, oh, that's, oh. 
<laughs> yeah. And like, I, for me, even shameless plug, I even like had my, an artist friend, Terry Blass. He was like, he was helping me do like designs for X-Men pins that I'm going to put out. And I was like, I want Rogue in that dress. Like I want it to mm-hmm. be Rogue in that dress because I think of that as such like an iconic moment from the show. And also I, it's such a 90s outfit, right? That I love it. I love it. it's like a purpley pinkish dress with matching shoes and she's got that little necklace. And I don't know why, but like the even the sound production they're doing is pretty good when she like flies up to the Sentinel and punches it. Like you hear the wind, then you hear the punch. <laughs> and then Jubilee's like, you see what she did? And Storm's like, Rogue has a way with men. And, ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> what is so great about that is both Storm and Rogue get these really fun levity moments, but then like halfway through the episode, you get like when Jubilee shades Storm, like, are you guys a little old for school? Or were you held back? And then Storm, like, reads her, her with a, a little bit. And just, yeah, hits her with a hurricane and just like, we're here to learn how to control our mutant powers. Okay, kid? And then like, and then later, like, Rogue saying, I'd like to kill my daddy when he found out I was a mutant. Like, the fact that this one two-parter gives almost every character both hilarious laugh lines and then also these, like, tiny moments of sincerity that, like, really ground them in a way that you don't see on Ninja Turtles. It just is yeah. spectacular. <laughs> and it really hits the found, like, the found familiness of it. Like, one of the cool... If X-Men is written right, then what you're feeling is that a bunch of people who have absolutely no reason to interact with each other are now best friends, right? <laughs> like, 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 who would hang out with Gambit unless they had to? <laughs> like, what if the most regal person you ever met was hanging out with Dolly Parton is actually a great... That's <laughs> You don't need superpowers to make that interesting, right? And, like, the idea of the two of them shopping is so... Like, I was... I'm in the suburbs, and I was watching the episode again with my sisters last night, who are, like, fan-adjacent. And when Storm was giving their speech, my sister was like, does she have to do that to use her powers? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> no, she just likes it. <laughs> <laughs> you're right pretty <laughs> it's like she kind of does um and yeah i i like tweeted that video of like forever ago when it first came on disney plus and was like if there was one scene that was like ian what scene in television made you gay it was like it's this mall scene yeah <laughs> also i i um, should say like i just credited the writers but it is also an amazing cast that is making some bonkers decisions like Yes. Um, I mean, I guess the most famous version of this is in that later episode where Storm's line is, I shall meet you at their monorail. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> delivered with this majesty. She was rocking the ponytail in that episode. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, she was down to business. I also love uh, Gambit hitting on that cashier yes. to the point where she does not hear a giant sentinel clamoring through. <laughs> such as gambit's charm well i mean that's the problem with the sentinels right like in the beginning like the sentinel just ruins jubilee's neighborhood and like people are like and no one realizes that it's about to squish jubilee in the bed but it's not (laughs) jubilee like it's like completely ruined this neighborhood and the only time the parents react is when there's like a giant hole in their house and they're like oh my god what happened (laughs) and even then they're like jubilee are you okay as if it's like she fell (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i so gambit i always list as one of my first crushes because uh, oh boy i feel like his i do think he has never been better in any other media but also the the like incessant flirting like everything he says is laced with flirt no matter who he's talking to um and wait wait. what you're saying is that you want to be in the gambit wolverine danger room training session that is just (laughs) for gambit wolverine yes but you (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely do. Um, I, but so I also interviewed um, 
Brett interviewed him as well, Eric Leewald, who was a showrunner. And I had asked him about, and I'm going to like quote this, I'm quoting my own article, but I'm just quoting his quote. Um, I asked him about that, like picking, like, was it a big deal to like pick the characters? And like, you know, they had, they brought all the badass women. Um, and he said that the women were chosen because they were great characters and had powers that worked beautifully in animation. And almost all the animated series back then were male heavy with perhaps like a token female. Um, and he said, in fact, that they were referred to along with X-Men as boys action adventure shows. Um, but at no time, like those were always the X-Men they wanted. And at no time, he said, at no time did we discuss having uh, fewer women. We just chose the most varied, balanced, interesting team we could find. Um, which I feel like is surprising to hear. I mean, I, I feel like I consider them like progressive mom and dad because I feel like especially back then, it's crazy that they were like, oh, no, these are the women we're having. Yeah, it's like full gender parity, right? Like it's four right? women, yeah. four men and the professor. Yeah, crazy. It is, but if you think of it, so something I noticed, because they were, they are very powerful, but there were like moments where it's like, they're super powerful, but here's where we're going to make sure that they recognize that they're women and not men. Like it was balanced in that way, like Storm, who was the leader, set, but she's like leading the expedition, but then Cyclops is the leader, of course. Like Cyclops tells them to back down, but Rogue is the one who takes down Wolverine, not Cyclops. And it's not when he tells her to do it, she just does it. But she's never part of Wolverine's anger. It's always Cyclops. And within the context of the comics, I understand, but within the context of the show, it's just kind of putting the focus on Cyclops without really giving us as a viewer the reasoning behind it, other than they're both dudes who believe they should be able to do what they want. The president who is in this position of power is a woman, but then you see her like on her stairmaster. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just these like little like moments that at and you know, again, early nineties, super progressive, but now you look back and you're like, oh, those moments exist for a ma- like for a reason for these women to exist, but as long as they recognize they're still the women of the show. That's a that's a good point. I'm glad you thank you for pointing that out. Um yeah, I does this show hate Cyclops? How? Well, why wouldn't it? <laughs> I think he's great in this episode. Like, I, I, I don't. I, I think he's great. No, I agree with you. I actually wrote down. I was like, I never like Cyclops, but I was on Team Cyclops in this episode. I mean, okay, so I always had a crush on the like serious leader type, like the Leonardo of the group, but. And he's obviously he's a Jim Lee design. He looks gorgeous. He's like a beautiful man. But you you, you see, you, it's hard. No one's like, oh my god, Cyclops is so great on this cartoon. But watching it as an adult, it's like I think the show hates him too. You know, like, <laughs> and I can't. And but they seem to delight in hating him. Like even the voice actor seems to delight in hating him. I do like that he has this little interesting arc that I find. Well, first of all, we all hate him because like Wolverine is like the character you're supposed to like root for right. as a kid because Wolverine's super cool and Cyclops is like always telling Wolverine to stop. <laughs> and you don't want that. Um, so I mean, in a way, like I guess what Cyclops has the Skylar White problem. Like mm. it's like no, but Skylar's a fucking great character. Um, there's this really I don't know cool who that is. when uh, so like Cyclops, you know, is like we're not going back. We left them. It was you know I'm so, like etc. But when he goes and finds Wolverine at that pool hall and is like, hey, how would you like to find out where the Sentinels are? <laughs> it's this really cool <laughs> moment where like you see where Cyclops is kind of like. I'm going to let protocol. Let's just go on a strict revenge mission. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it's cool. It's great. Yeah, the seed of X Force in general is right there, right? Like sometimes we go off book. <laughs> kind <Yeah>. of... <laughs> when Jubilee is walking through the mansion, I think that's a really good way 
of bringing this new character and just like introducing us to the team without having to be like, hi, I'm Beast. Hi, I'm Morph. And she's just watching them do their thing in private. I think that's a really good way of showing us who everyone is without it being like boring exposition. Yeah. It really takes its time as an episode. It's like it like it holds it Jean until past the halfway mark until we meet her, right? I I pretty I I I I would wonder what you would think about Jean because I feel like Jean is maybe the worst, like represented. Yeah, and, uh, like, I, yeah. I mean, it's she's the one who realizes that Morph is dead, right? Not Xavier, and and the. It's like she she clearly has this great capacity for power, but for the most part, she's not really doing much. And and then there's that sequence of her breaking down in tears with with Cyclops, where he's like the strong one. And so, yeah, I feel like there was potential there that they were like, we're going to hold off on this and give you more later. Two seasons later. (laughs) Yeah. For like, for especially in the show, like I think Jean, Rogue and Storm probably get hit with the most laser beams out of all the characters. (laughs) There's, there's, I know I, I, for for a fact, I'd seen this on YouTube because I Googled it. Uh, There's the whole montage. I think it's like 14 minutes, maybe. Of Jean's <laughs> fainting in the show and being like, "Oh my god, my powers! I can't keep them up!" And then it's just like, and then this just her like flooning and being caught by various characters, sometimes even Storm and Rogue. But yeah, I do think that there is a, even when Jean is the Phoenix, which which comes later, she's always fainting. Like it's like okay, you're We're the most very sensitive. <laughs> so I get it. I was going to say, that is relatable, though. I can say, I understand that. <laughs> well, it's just funny because it's like there are those little moments, but that when, when they're fighting the Sentinels in uh, Detroit, which, okay. Uh, I completely missed that that was supposed to right, be Detroit. Right, it says now. it. Doesn't it? It's, uh, did I make that up? I feel it's like that. Detroit. Okay, good. Um, when they're fighting it, it's like Rogue takes one down really awesomely and like Storm takes two down. And like Wolverine's sequence of taking one down is awesome, but it's also really funny in comparison to the way <laughs> Storm took theirs down because it's like, bam, one hit, you're down. And Wolverine's like, stab, 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 stab. <laughs> And he also has that, like, he's like, this one's for you, more. Which was in every cartoon um, commercial for, like, the next five years was that this one's for you, morph moment. <laughs> this is the show that killed someone. Like, yes. blew your tiny little minds of the show <laughs> killed a character. I, I was about to say, I wanted to say that I, as a kid, thinking, like, oh, this is adult. They killed someone. Like, no cartoon explicitly killed someone the way this cartoon did. And for me, that was like, you know, the the peak of, and I still, I still think this at 37, it was like the peak of children's cartoons. I was just like, oh, they're taking it seriously. He's dead. Yeah. And I, and you know, and he, they have said that they actually created Morph just to have someone to kill. <laughs> yeah, he's very <laughs> much is, like, um, what, Jesse from Welcome to the Hellmouth. Exactly. Like, it's the exact yeah. same. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Like, here's the here's the world. Fall in love with everybody, and now one is dead. Like, the stakes are immediately clear to you, even as a child. I do think he is slightly underdeveloped as a design. <laughs> like, oh no, he, yeah, he, yeah. I do like he, his head is that character's head from the '60s. Like the one or two panels that changed when he had his head, helmet off, which I do find really cool. Um, but then he's just wearing the Jim Lee bodysuit. That's it. yeah, and yeah. then you know, that is that fun. He's a cute smoke gun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> its range is like three inches from the tip. Of the- <laughs> Seems needlessly provocative. <laughs> also, I 
know you already mentioned this, Brett, but when <laughs> when Beast is quoting John Wesley and Storm is like, we gotta go and just blast it. <laughs> Anthony, I feel like somehow that's you and I hosting this podcast together. You're Beast and I'm Storm. Like, no, we're just doing the thing. <laughs> I do think in later episodes, he gets a little Bartlett's book of quotations, but I like the, there's some neat little... Like he not only quotes people, but he has opinions. Like a minor, a minor poet for a minor obstacle is like yeah. a great. Line. Oh, such a good line! <laughs> yeah. Such a good line. I like, even he, like in that weird, like, kind of like rogues, like base. Why do you even think that we have these powers? And he's like, you know, genetics, something, television, and then Morpheus like progress. Lousy, like the the banter <laughs> yeah. and the between and just all even, of them. Like that's my actually favorite scene. I think is like they each articulate. Just by asking that simple question, which feels like exposition you have to give, you actually see how they each think about their own relationship to their powers, like progress, lousy luck. Like, I really like the character work that does. It's really neat. Yeah. And, you know, I like that, the you know, Rogue's talking about her trauma. And I I'm, I don't know if because I feel like I, I put this cartoon on such a pedestal that everything I love, it's just like, no, I love that. I love that. I don't care if that's bad. I love it. But I really like that Rogue is giving exposition but it feels natural and like she's giving you her backstory and it feels natural. And then Morph just like jokingly says, Oh, I turned into the principal anytime I got into trouble and he turns into the principal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> I think they do a really good job of making Morph a really like a character that you actually could see being just a part of the show forever because he fulfills a void. Like he, ha- he has a role on the team. He has a power set. That the other ones don't have. He makes the kind of jokes that no one else does. So that when he is killed, it really does feel like all of a sudden there is a hole. It did. I legit didn't remember Morph was a character at all. I was like, who is this guy? And they're, <laughs> they're going through it. And then when he dies, I was like, what? <laughs> he also has a really weird. amazing story across the series is worth mentioning, right? Like yeah. the weird Mr. Sinister plot line and his like his permanent state of PTSD for the rest of the series is really fascinating to watch happen. Brett, you'll, you'll know. I feel like, is it the end of this season or is it next season that he comes back? Uh, it's the season premiere of season two. Season two. Okay, we get yeah. the Mr. Sinister tease at the very, very end of this season. Right, right, right. Alex, I think you were about to say something and one of us interrupted you. Oh, like the whole, I guess like now, because it's just funny the way part of that morph scene, right, is him saving Wolverine. And I think what was kind of funny and what kind of like, the way we think of Wolverine now, you're just like, okay, well, yeah, he's he has claws, but he's like indestructible, or like he he will always heal. And it's like back then, it was just like I guess it was just claws because like he could probably save, he could probably like survive the laser the laser beams way more than Morphoid. Oh yeah, yeah they didn't even <laughs> mention his healing factor, and then also when um when Sabretooth does a number on him on him in episode three, like it takes him two episodes to heal from that. Whereas in the movies he'd be done in like two minutes. It so really it, was the movies that did the power creep on Wolverine. Like for, for Claremont, his healing factor meant like he would survive an injury that would kill somebody, but he would be in bed for like a week. Right. Like, and it's on, on to, I guess that it's like a weird um, effect of early two thousands special effects that like they decided to make his healing factor, like an instantaneous thing and it never came back from that it's like the biggest yeah he needs defend he could he could a sentinel could kill wolverine a sentinel does kill wolverine in days of future past right so so strange 
the the weird thing that doesn't add up though is that like what blast was it because as we as we mentioned like storm and rogue and gene gray get blasted by the sentinel blazers a bajillion times and they're all fine well they got put they got woman settings right yeah yeah they have very like chivalry a chivalry setting. <laughs> a gentleman's laser beam yeah oh my god but even, even in that flashback immediately beast and rogue also get blasted and survive <laughs> <laughs> I also love the non-linear storytelling of like yeah. we smash cut from that to like the the jet coming back. Well, now we see Gene react, and then the jet comes back, and then you get that like Cyclops getting up from the cockpit, Storm like turning, and then like starting yeah. to cry, and then you get Wolverine punch. It's like you find that out famous what punch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's an iconic GIF moment. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why does? Why do they? fragmented do you guys think like what is the effect that's having like does it make us decide how we feel about the decision before we see how it went down like i don't i was fascinated by that i my okay so i think once we get to part two i think part two does slow down a bit i think part one is like 100 percent, and then i think part two i but i like i like the idea of having that flashback but i would have liked I mean, I guess they just couldn't show you a morph dying, right? Like, it had to be, like, you hear the noise and you know he's dead. Oh, that's interesting. So they, it's like, um, it's kind of like a, a Hitchcock thing where, like, if you if you fragment the shot, you won't notice you didn't see the thing that happened. Like, the, the psycho scene where that, you never actually see the knife go into her body. That's what I think. Like, <laughs> but... It was maybe Fox being like, hey, uh, you can't show a character get killed. Could you just like move this part to later in the episode and like kind of cheat it? I wonder if uh... you, you could ask the uh, yeah. showrunners because I'm sure they yeah. definitely remember that. That's true. Yeah. Because I don't know like why it is broken up that way. Um, I think it is a perfect storytelling choice, but I don't know why. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I would, I'm sure someone could re-edit it to where it is actually flowing in chronological order. Um, and I don't know if that'd be better or worse, but I like the choice they made. It's interesting. I guess one thing it does do is it changes it from just being events unfolding in front of us into being focalized by Wolverine, right? Because the, the nice thing, especially part two does is we get to know Wolverine. And I have to say, not a character that I usually actually care about, but what this episode does really well is you get to see how much of him is blustered, right? Like he's constantly telling you what he thinks and you oh. constantly see he means the other thing. Like I his affection for Morph is so much. I love the scene where he is going out there where he um he gets the argument with Cyclops and he goes to the garage and he like sees Cyclops's car and flies <laughs> off the top and, he's, and then Gene Gray comes <laughs> and he has a convertible now. And a convertible. But then Gene says to him, it's not Cyclops's fault. And then he drives away angry. And then Gene says to herself, it's not your fault either. And I, that for some reason, that line just like hit me so hard because it is. Genius. Because of course that's the thing he's thinking about. And yeah, it's, it's never so cool. the thing that's articulated. And yeah. the show is saying this super macho, like Mr. Knife hands uh, <laughs> is blaming himself and has like internal, like he feels bad. <laughs> like it's such a cool moment. Mr. Knife Hands. Yes. <laughs> well, my husband calls Wolverine Fork Hands, so. <laughs> you know, and I will say, I always, I like Wolverine. I, I know that we're a little oversaturated. I know, not a little. We're very much oversaturated with Wolverine. I like him, and I think it's because of this cartoon. I think this cartoon did a good job of still kind of making him the action-y star, but not insisting upon him. 
And like, we still had everyone else and everyone else didn't feel completely sidelined. Like Jean Grey feels sidelined, but that's not because of Wolverine. That's like a choice. You can think of memorable moments for the other uh, six, like six of the other main X-Men. Whereas if you try and think of any of the movies and think of anything that Rogue does in X3, like, it's like I don't fucking know. Whereas, yeah. like, I love that this she waits in line a lot in X three. Yes, in line. Oh, this. <laughs> but like, I you just recorded Gambit. the episode on that. Yeah, there's she doesn't do shit in that movie. You have like, like Gambit's like Miss Me Petite. Like that's always stuck right. with me. Five card stud, Jack so better to open. Like you, you remember all that stuff. It's and, still the voice you hear in your head for these characters. Oh yeah, I think, yeah. for a lot of them. It's also the last yeah, time I, we ever see ugly Wolverine, right? Like, this is the last time Wolverine gives speeches where he's like, I'm not... Type, honey. <laughs> no, absolutely, but he articulates himself as ugly, right? He yeah, thinks yeah. of himself as ugly, whereas as soon as Hugh Jackman shows up, all of that disappears. Like, it would actually be hard to recoup for a younger reader this idea of Wolverine thinking himself as, like, a beast, right? That why would why would Gene ever like him? That's completely gone. Right. Because, like, it's Hugh Jackman. Like, give me a break. Yeah. yeah. I th- <laughs> and I mean, Brett, we talked a little bit about that in the first, the episode of the first movie. Like, they tried to balance it only in that first movie. And then after that, they were like, nope, he's super hot. Yeah. Give him yeah. the, the Marvel workout. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I also, I wanted to point out when they are, when the storm blasts open that door after we get the, like, be continued in part one, in part two, Beast says, I wondered where she got her nom de guerre. And I was like, I need to Google that because I'm not sure I know what that means. <laughs> All of these lines had words in them that I have learned what they mean since the last time I watched this. It's like, it's also, like, Beast gets the best, like, I think one of my favorite moments is when after he's caught and the what's his face comes in to be like, I have some questions. And Beast is like, not now. And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they just accept that. <laughs> Which is a, an arc that goes through the whole season, right? Like Beast will be in jail for yeah. the whole thing. And they keep letting us know that he can leave at any time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in the next episode. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I have a point to make by being here. Yeah. I love that. But he's absolutely on his own terms. Right. Like, no, I'm mourning what may- he's based morph is like in the Iceman role here right like the wisecracker that everyone loves but obviously has deep neurological issues like neurotic issues that he needs to deal with um but i love that everyone gets a moment to mourn for morph and that even for beast it becomes like almost a powerful moment right and that's a that's a rough role for 13 episodes like you're gonna be in jail he's still people have so much affection for him even though he doesn't he's on the literally on the bench for Beats most her. of his yeah. introduction but he takes ownership, yeah, he, right? That's that's yeah. that's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, he literally is, right? He doesn't get released till the end. It is literally right? is the season finale, which is the yeah. maybe the greatest episode of uh, the entire mm-hmm. series. It's so <laughs> fucking good. Uh, so, God, I'm now I'm like, God, what the hell else do we even have to say? Like, we already talked about uh, part two. I, so I do like... I will point out uh, that we do see Jubilee kind of save herself. I appreciate that. Like, I, is it because of the X-Men that they have that like hiccup in power? Yeah, it's yeah, it's because they're right? breaking. Okay. Them. Yeah. But like, she still uses her powers to break her, like her restraints. And she blows, she blows a hole in the wall, which is like one of my defenses of Jubilee. When people are like, Oh, Jubilee sucks. I'm like, she can do things with one her of, powers. One of the gags I want to do on my articles was like, every time people say Jubilee um, is like not powerful, just Google firework accident. And yeah. I tried to include a hyperlink to the Google results of fireworks accident. And I think my bosses were like, don't, 
do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. Like fireworks will fuck you up. Right. It's also like the I, third time she uses her powers, which is not something I caught until watching it now. Like she malfunctions right. the arcade machine. Um, she purposely uses them oh, at one point. To in, save she like tries to, to yeah, get out of the room. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, so she's like, she's learning in a way that I didn't realize as this episode is going. Well, it feels like she's a teen girl and we're taught not to, res- you know, respect teen girls. And so it's I like, I know when I was a kid, I was like, oh, Jubilee. But so much of that is like taught to you that because she says things about going to the mall and chili fries and like she very much has that demeanor that we look down on, but is actually like a really badass, awesome character. She takes out a sentinel, like the very like right. <laughs> in the first five minutes, the hot like you know cool stud character is about to get annihilated, and she like steps out and totally saves his damsel ass. Like I, you know, and Jubilee still. I mean, I have because I'm that nerd. I have like five different Jubilee T-shirts, and almost up until recently, almost every Comic Con I went to, some fucking straight nerdo mm. would stop Ugh. me to say, you know, Jubilee sucks, right? Ew, and, like. Fuck off! Like. Well, you know what's interesting is that in the comic, the the issue that it's based off of, I think it's called Ladies' Night or it's quotation oh, mark yeah, Ladies' yeah. Night. Uh, she's a lot more adept. Like she's actually like the whole mall scene is like taken from there, and she's just like this gymnast, and she's like wisecracking, talking about like Russian judge getting scores from the Olympics and Russian judges, and like her fireworks are like, she explains like this, like minutia, like down to like the, the smallest detail of what her fireworks are. Mm-hmm. And, now she's oh, Claremont. <laughs> and it's so good. And then I mean, it's, of course it's like Dazzler comes and everyone comes and saves her um, from, from the M squad. But I think it's like this, I, I do find it interesting that we have this and kind of pride of the X-Men have the same kind of arc of like this, like teenage girl, and it's always a teen. It's it's, it's interesting, and also through um, the X Men movies that it's just like you see the eyes through a through a teen girl, and it's just it sucks for Jubilee that it's, it is this. It's been characterized as like Jubilee sucks, but right. like it's I, when you could see like even with X Men that it could actually be so much more fruitful and a lot more. I don't know, a lot more, a, a lot, a lot rounder, a lot more developed than just like teenage girls suck. She really is a splice of like comic book jubilee, but with that Kitty Pride energy, right? Like the the parts of her that don't feel like comic book jubilee are absolutely Kitty Pride, um, and like that that sort of yeah, like you said, the sort of way you use her to focalize. But it's also really kind of refreshing that she's never made, whether in character design or whether in behavior, she's never like refreshingly never sexualized by the show, right? Like which you kind of expect in these like products for teen and preteen kids like even the design work on x-men evolution it's like oh they're all like conventionally attractive she's just in this baggy jacket all the time i love it <laughs> really unflattering jean shorts <laughs> yeah it's perfect <laughs> and i suspect that's why she gets this straight boy attitude of like how she sucks because that you never get that for kitty pride um that's that's true that's i actually true. didn't think about that yeah because they like love kitty pride I also, even though i also really liked well i don't know how cool this is or whatever but i do like that when the sentinel scans her he does say like you know um like nationality chinese american yes which yeah. you know a lot of people always try to white like the generation x movie whitewash jubilee by, ha- by casting a white actress um a lot of artists for throughout the 90s 
repeatedly forgot that Jubilee was Chinese American. So it was really cool to see like it actually written on screen twice in this episode mm-hmm. for like, cause even if like the, the animation doesn't really sell it as much, it is cool that it is like canonical there written for like, like, uh, like Asian people watching the show, Chinese American kids, like, Oh, this is the first time I'm seeing that. Like it's cool. And her, her status as a foster kid obtains in the episode much more actually than I, I registered as a kid, right? Like the fact that her family has rejected her and she thought they loved them and they've only been together for a year is actually like built into her like motivation and the fact that she runs away so quickly. Like I missed all that as a kid that like, oh, there's definitely abandonment issues she is processing in real time before your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> But Anthony didn't miss Nam de Guerre as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you pull that line apart, it is actually a really stupid line. Because, like, he doesn't know why this woman is called Storm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It might be weather. Like, the second draft of... Thanks, Xavier, I'm going to call myself Weather. Think of that. <laughs> it's, it's a second choice. Um, so yeah, and like the so the X-Men come in, so we get that we get the scene with the president. And I remember as a kid thinking it was cool that it was a woman president, but you are right, Preeti. It's like, oh, we see her on a treadmill, of course. I know, like, um, so, like, I know with Clinton, you know, that SNL sketch, like, Clinton in, like, the short shorts jogging and stuff was always, like, such a mood for him. But mm-hmm. this aired, like, Election of 92 was happening while this was airing at the first. So it wasn't a response to Clinton. Like, it predates that. Did H.W. Bush also, like, was there an association of presidents with, like, working out in physical fitness or does this predate that i don't, I don't know. know i can't picture hw bush in short shorts but i can picture bill clinton in short shorts. it does feel oh, like 100%. it feels like a clinton thing though right like it does yes. feel and like even as like even it's politics right like we see her twice we see her giving the official line from the presidency and then we see this moment i think the the working out is meant to signal this is like a behind the scenes kind of moment like and it does feel like, oh, the American government in bed with these like weapons organizations who are like, what are you doing with those lists of mutants we keep gathering? <laughs> so there is kind of like a feckless neoliberalism thing happening here that to me is so permanently wedded to the um, the Clinton era. Although all everyone is doing this Kennedy impression, so I don't know. Yeah, you know, it also does look like she removed the desk from the Oval Office and put Stairmaster in there. It's <laughs> resolute <laughs> Stairmaster. <laughs> well, that's what that's what women would do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Brett, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't she the president for the entire run of the cartoon? I think so I mean, right? Does she ever get a name? Wait, does Senator Kelly become (laughs) president at some point? Oh, maybe. We haven't talked about Guy Rich here either. This I year. love I love that scene of him leaving that meeting that doesn't go well. He just throws his files around <laughs> right inside the Oval Office. That's so bad. <laughs> and his weird, like for the rest of the series, him and Trask are in this har- terrible, like extremely fey love-hate relationship yeah. <laughs> where they're just bickering constantly. <laughs> <laughs> getting kidnapped together. I often meld them into one character. Like, I forget they're separate. Like, I forget which one's Trask. Like, in my head, when before they said his name, I was like, is this one Gyrick or is this one Trask? I can't remember. Is this the... So, Gyrick in the comics was the Avengers' government liaison. I don't think he had an association with the X-Men until... He does in New Mutants. He becomes... Mm. He's a New Mutants enemy for a long time. 
Um, Because New Mutants does play more of the politics and like more of the like long distance, like let's capture some children stuff. (laughs) Uh, And he's like, he's in charge of um, Project Wide Awake in the comics. Yeah. You know, I always think I know a lot about the comics and then I have Anthony as my co-host and then Brett's here. And I'm like, do I know? Have I read a comic? Well, he's, (laughs) he's designed to have a really specific point of view, actually. And that I think the cartoon does a good job of, which is that he isn't, he's actually not a bigot for cultural reasons. He is a perfect government agent in that he recognizes mutants are a weapon and it is important for the government to have control of that weapon. Like that is that is the way that Gyrick is meant to operate in in the X-Men universe. Like what if there was a person who just saw these people as a resource and wanted and that's why he's like a perfect new mutant kind of thing because new mutants is so much about like recruiting like all of the enemies for like the first 50 issues are like the hellfire club and like emma frost and like peter Gyrick, like all these people who are like trying to acquire these kids as resources um i was is just rereading one... new mutants number one it's so good like i forgot that uh cannonball's introduction is that he works in donald pierce's mind yeah <laughs> so yeah. good <laughs> oh my god i didn't know that holy yeah. shit oh it's so like good. a hellfire guard uniform for that for the graphic yeah novel. yeah yeah huh um, is it now this is where my X-Men knowledge, I'm going to, I really sound like I've never read a comic. Um, which one of them is, is like alluded to be Sabretooth's son. Oh, that's great. Or is that Creed. someone different? Great. Oh, well, great. actually oh, yeah. we get the first shades of that here because when Wolverine and Cyclops are playing in the bar and the guy is doing that really weird, um, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's so weird. <laughs> Put him back on, please. <laughs> So it reads like, oh, these are just some like shitty racist lo- yokels, but the guy is wearing a Friends of Humanity t-shirt and we won't hear about them for a few episodes yet. So it's like already like this Trump, like make America great energy is like, we already see it organizing in this first episode with the Sentinels. It's really neat. The, I, yeah, I didn't notice that either. The The thing that this cartoon does well, and I think it's probably because they had the freedom, is that like they can just like, they were able to throw things like that in there and there wasn't any constraints of well if we do that we have to use it later or like oh if we show this character in the background we have to use them the very first time you see the war room it is panning and on the tv monitors is uh domino then we we ever meet (laughs) yeah the canvas of this cartoon goes beyond the edges right like in and in a way that almost is like well if we reference them maybe it'll sell the action figure like it's almost the opposite impulse you'd expect like I always right? think about this yeah. cartoon as the opposite of the Batman cartoon, which was basically its contemporary. Like when you were talking about the art style, like ba- the Batman the Animated Series is one of the most beautiful things humanity has ever made. Like it looks <laughs> gorgeous, um, but it's so spare, so severe. Every episode is like this beautiful little puzzle box and nothing is wasted, right? Like the severity is the point. X-Men wastes constantly. <laughs> here's Domino. Here's Cannonball. We will never deal with them. <laughs> <Just> like... <laughs> Say goodbye forever to yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And like, I can even remember in Dark Phoenix when like she like explodes and we see the big Phoenix behind her and we get like a glimpse of like Spider-Man, Dr. Strange and <laughs> Thor all like reacting and that's it. They're, we don't see them again. It's just them reacting, like being like, Oh shit, something happened and that's it. And I love, it's a thing. I think the Fox movies took the wrong way and ran with where it's like, Ooh, well the cartoon had all these random characters in the background. Let's do that with mutants. Where like, you know, in last stand, there's a character that, 
was named Psylocke after they recorded the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who yeah. does oh, not no. like Psylocke or have her powers or have any lines, but they named her Psylocke and kill her. Like, I hate, <laughs> I hate that shit so much. <laughs> I'll never forgive them for putting, like, Remy LeBeau's name on the computer screen and then, like, never giving us anything. And then you got Taylor Kitsch, who was a good <laughs> part of an awful movie. Okay, I was about to say, like... We're not gonna hate on his gambit. I thought it was really I good. I love his gambit. I, you know, I would so not. Good. I mean, him and Adrian Palicki are my gambit and rogue IRL. Like, I would Ooh. love them together as gambit and rogue. That's some Friday Night Lights huh. crossover. Man, he did not catch a break. <laughs> he went straight from Friday Night Lights to that and the the John Carter. John John Carter. Carter. Yeah. And then we just threw him away. <laughs> like, what, what became of him? <laughs> Listen, he's beautiful. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he did season three of True Detective or something. No, the oh, no. really? Too. Anyway. Oh. So I like that Jubilee hugs Gambit. Yeah. I like that when he saves her. I think it's like a, a like sweet moment that also makes sense. And he, I like that we see him not react, but then he, he you know, he pats know. her and he's like, okay. It's interesting like, they're setting up them to be the dynamic and not Wolverine and Jubilee. Like Wolverine goes after Jubilee, but they never, I don't think, do they ever really exchange words? I don't think so. That actually. happens way later. I think he gets, he's left in the, the morph trauma for at least most of season one. Season one has the two-parter with Sabretooth, right? Where he's like, yeah, yeah it's the next episode, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's up in the wilderness. Sabretooth is the first thing we see in this cartoon. We didn't talk about that. Yes. That's kind of wild. <laughs> I never knew if he was nude or like, not. It looks like he's naked wearing like weird body yeah. paint. For the rest, I mean, that was definitely like a, a, a 10 year old me was very confused about these feelings I was having about this giant naked man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what didn't help was that in the Colossus episode when he fights Omega Red, he they like defeat Omega Red by Colossus just giving him a hug, like a giant hug, <laughs> a monthly metal on metal hug. <laughs> so, so the X Men come in, they save Jubilee. Uh, they have their action scene. Um, the Sentinels. I I was actually thinking of um, Alex and Preeti. I'm not sure if you two are Buffy fans. Um, but, you know, normally Brett and Anthony and I are talking Buffy. It reminded me of Buffy in the finale of Chosen when, like, suddenly Anya and Dawn could both fight the Turrakans because these Sentinels explode so easily yeah. in this scene. Yeah. It's like Storm zaps them and their arms explode yes! off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a little bit like, why didn't you do this earlier? Like, a lot of, yeah. like, why, like, why aren't you zapping them this hard all the time? But I guess yeah, it flips it, the other way, too, because you're just like, why are you zapping Rogue and Storm in very non-lethal ways? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> also, uh, is it this scene or is it the earlier scene when the Sentinels do that really weird rope lasso with Wolverine? I think it actually is earlier, isn't <laughs> it? It is yeah. earlier because it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, before- <laughs> it's so silly for a robot to do, right? It's so funny. <laughs> I think I mean part of this is the GI Joe thing, right? Where it's like everything, everyone shoots lasers and no one ever hits anything. But to, in its defense, the point of the Sentinels, at least here, is to capture mutants, right? The idea is that they're they're meant to be acquired again as like as means to make them into weapons. Like that's actually why Gyrix sends the Sentinel after Jubilee, and it's on like an acquisition mission, which is why it keeps scanning them and being like, ignore, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yes, they're like, definitely oh. like underbaked, right? Like they're once when you get attack them in the facility, they're like little toddler sentinels that just like <laughs> their arms just break <laughs> off. <laughs> Those are the soft boys. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> the Buster Bluth sentinels that you keep at home. <laughs> they're just so excited to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> Again, oh, relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the scene has my favorite line uh, that I still quote all the time, which is after like they're all standing in like the pile of rubble, sitting on rubble, and they're all like they all um come together, and then Cyclops is like, "Is that all of them?" And then Rogue says, "Ain't that enough?" <laughs> yeah. And I instinctively, anytime anyone at work or anyone ever says, like, does anyone have any more pitches or does anyone have this? I always fight the urge to go, ain't that enough? But I know <laughs> no one is going to get it. <laughs> Truly. You know, I, I forgot to mention, but I, I have to point out, I think my favorite road line is um, you look as nervous as a long tail cat in a room for old yes! rocking chairs. Because <laughs> it's. It's like such a mouthful. Also, I'm impressed that I said the whole thing um, correctly, but it's like such a mouthful and she has, but the the cadence she has in the delivery is just like really good. And I don't think I even knew. I, I remember like not actually knowing what she was saying. Like I wasn't getting it as a kid. Isn't it also said twice? This is at the very end of at part one and like part two begins with them kind of like resetting the figures in a way. It, yeah. I think it might be said twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> such a good line so then you know they save jubilee we do get to see her kind of rekindle with her foster parents where brett what line does she deliver <laughs> well they ask like we come back and visit us and she like puts out her sunglasses like does a mall baby chili fries <laughs> <laughs> so before we before we recorded this brett sent us um i'm gonna, I'm gonna have you explain it brett sent us a clip that was relevant to uh, uh that of Lana Condor yeah. delivering that or line. So explain that to me. So in 2016, when X-Men Apocalypse uh, hit theaters um, in order to like, I don't know, recoup losses and really try and make that Blu-ray sell Fox held a press junket for the Blu-ray release <laughs> where they flew oh. a ton of journalists to Canada, to the, um, the mansion in Canada that was used as the exterior for the X mansion in the first movie. So not even X-Men Apocalypse. Castle Loma. Oh yep. God. Yep. Yep. Very proud. <laughs> and they like made it, they like out, Outfitted with like 80s furniture and like there was like Nightcrawler's room, Quicksilver's room, and they had like some props from the movie. And they also had like the woman that played Magneto's wife, um, the cotton <laughs> makeup person. So not even the person that did like the effects makeup, but just like the person that made people look good for camera. They had her there. And then they had Lana Condor. And the entire weekend they were playing the mall scene that they foolishly deleted from the movie. They were playing that on a loop on TVs, like at the mixer and stuff. So, and that's Jubilee's entire scene is that mall scene, which is so good. And it's set to safety dance by men without hats. And it is so perfect. And it's everything that I want. Um, so then when we had our one-on-one -on -one interviews, I don't know why I did this. I mean, I know why I did this because I'm uh, <laughs> a gay X-Men fan. <laughs> I was like, Can I get video of you saying Jubilee's catchphrase? And she's like, what's Jubilee's catchphrase? And I was like, does a mall baby chili fries? And she was like, okay. <laughs> so now I have to start to all the boys I've loved before saying, does a mall baby chili fries? God, Fox, if you want to smell Fox's <laughs> dumbness of just longevity planning the X-Men franchise, they fucking had Lana Condor, who is now like a major netflix star as jubilee and they left all of her footage on the cutting room floor and then didn't ask her back what i mean it's jubilee's revenge right Ugh. like the yeah. disrespect and now yeah. she's risen above and 
Well, okay, I, so I root for her. She was so nice. She was so lovely. I wore my Jubilee uh, Mondo Newt, like the, my Mondo pin of a Jubilee <laughs> oh, yeah. the press junket. And she was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like she was so, she was so lovely. And she obliged my weird request. <laughs> but it speaks to how audacious this episode is, right? Like all the risks the movies were unwilling to take, this episode is willing to take, right? Like, no, what if your lead was like a 13-year-old Chinese-American? And what if the Sentinels attacked first? And what if you watched your heroes burn government documents, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's willing to be weird. And it, I think it speaks to what you were saying off the top, Brett. Like, it's kind of, it doesn't care if you follow and it doesn't care if you like it, right? Like, it's just like, this is actually more complicated and they are referencing things you don't know. And that's part of the joy. It's part of the joy for me of comics, right? Like, I actually, maybe we're all like this as nerds, but like, it's an acquisitive way of thinking, right? Like, you want to know all the details. The problem with comics is you never will, right? The The text is too big. It's bigger than your brain, and you won't remember all the details, and you won't remember who all these players are, and they can come and go, and it's like, oh, shoot, I need to look up that person's wiki and stuff. And like, that's kind of the thing this cartoon develops is like, you're going to see glimpses of characters you don't know, and it's going to invite you to learn more. That's why I like it. Yeah. That's a really good summation, Anthony. You're really smart. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess we are going to wrap up here. What's your favorite scene, Preeti? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man, it's so hard because there's so many good ones, but I think it's the one of, uh, that I mentioned earlier of Beast sitting on the ceiling being like, I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> uh, Alex? Uh, hands down, Mallstorm transforming into that drag reveal, uh, <laughs> and just saying Mistress of the Elements commands you to release the child, and she just is holding like the lil the thundercloud and it doesn't make a lot of sense but it also does and you're just like as like a tiny gay boy you're just like oh wow she's so powerful i want to know more um i want to i want to do this reveal <laughs> I, do this reveal. I swear to god i wish shay kuei did it because it would have been <laughs> could you imagine how much <laughs> When Jack's exclamation point walked into the workroom on season eight dressed as uniform, <laughs> I was like living. No, but uh, going back to that Jubilee thing, one last thing is the the whole the amazing probably my second favorite scene is like she chooses to be with the X Men, which is like the key core thing of the X Men. It's like they're not gonna like Kitty Pride chooses to be with the X Men at the end of uh, Pride of the X Men. Uh, and Rogue chooses it's like that's a very powerful moment for a team and not to be too cheesy because I love the drag reveal but like the whole like idea of chosen family and this and like even though you might not know what it means to you but you kind of get it is so big to this series yeah yeah oh uh Brett uh it's literally the entire episode every single scene but um <laughs> i do think it is like all of them sneaking up to the uh mutant registration center on just the like small talk that moment uh of getting to see more about rogue beast morph like all of them that is what i love about the x-men like i feel like i know those people and i know those characters and i know those interactions and they're also nuanced and just all the dialogue is so good. And it's just so, it's a real quiet, patient moment that like, why is this in a cartoon? 
Like they're not punching anything right. in that. They're walking to punch things. <laughs> Why are we seeing the part where they're walking to the punching? Like I love that it takes the time to show that. Uh, Anthony. Oh, that was my pick too. Uh, I you really pick the same thing. I really like the even just the toggle between, um, like. Rogue, of course, wanting to understand what she is. Like, why are we like this? Because, of course, that's the question. Rogue, who is in many ways the most traumatized by her powers in the set, would ask. And Beast trying to offer, like, simultaneously a scientific solution, but also, like, maybe it doesn't matter is the implication of his, like, jokey, like, TV thing. (laughs) And then you get Morph saying progress, which tells you everything about what Morph's politics must be. And Wolverine saying lousy luck, right? Like, I, you, you have, I'm jealous of that succinct amount of character work and like one word responses that tell you almost everything you need to know about those characters. But since it's already been said, I'm going to say the Sentinel sneaking up on Jubilee. (laughs) Just like (laughs) leaning against that house. (laughs) Dimming his eyes until she passes. He has like a fake mustache on and a giant Yeah. He needs a spin-off, <laughs> like a, a film noir sentinel story, I think. <laughs> I just love the idea of him, like, I don't know if any of you played Wind Waker, the, the Zelda game on GameCube, but you could sidle as this little cel-shaded link, like, against the wall, and this idea of this giant sentinel just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Through the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite scene is that mall scene uh i just i love it i love it i can remember being upset that i didn't have action figures of all three because you know it took forever for them to release any of the women when we were kids um and i would pretend that my star trek the women from my star trek figures were the x-men because like at the time it was like only storm and then eventually they released the rogue and i would just have like other action figures fill in for like jubilee and gene gray and stuff uh that for me this is like the peak of x-men um but also you all had really good answers uh what grade do we give these this arc from as an opening and you know as anthony always says does it achieve what it set out to do (laughs) uh brett what grade do you give it a plus this is the best the x-men have ever been period like on it like is exactly what i love about the x-men and i think i realize i am angry at every single x-men comment that isn't like this that isn't as good as this (laughs) not like bro (laughs) uh alex what grade um i'd give it an a like i i I didn't realize how much you guys didn't like the animation style (laughs) and now it gets much worse right like in seasons four and five the animation is really bad (laughs) but i would give it an a plus before you told me that you guys didn't like the animation i love the animation i love it i love it but it's definitely like someone gave someone a file folder of jim lee drawings and the person is like the person was like a mid-level talent and was like uh and also like you want this next week because like, yeah exactly. even like they, they rush aired the first episode in october of 92 and then the season didn't start proper until january 93 but they were like we need to make this deadline and that's right, why there are right. all these crazy goofs in the first episode my favorite shot, which we didn't talk about, is the shot of the guards, and they're all redheads. Because I love the, I love the idea of that was like Henry Peter Guyrich's hiring policy was redheads only. <laughs> but yes, Alex, it, we, I, I love the animation. I, I, I still defend it. It's like the nerd hill I'll die on. The nerd hills I'll die on are the lost finale is actually good. Everyone watched it wrong, and that this cartoon is the best X Men thing, and that the animation is great. Um. Pretty. What grade you give it? Uh, B 
plus only because of I I can't the 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 power balance stuff just really like gets under my skin. And Anthony, um, yeah, I mean, I I think I also think this is like one of the best summaries of what the X Men can be. In fact, I I feel like the next time something has a vision this clear is like the opening of the Grant Morrison run, like. It really is. It has a thesis. It's shockingly unafraid to develop it. Like, I really can't believe that they got an episode of these people burning government documents through. Um, and in itself, no one stops to think in the episode about like, that is actually weirdly won't become controversial till later. Like, if a government asks you, like, are you queer is a question we see all the time. It's like people even within community have different answers to that. Like, are you provide? I just love how much risk and how willing it is to trust its uh, its viewers so a plus on that front even though <laughs> it is charmingly filming filmed in interesting ways I, I think as a story level a plus a plus and yeah i give it an a uh maybe maybe anthony i think you might have just pushed me to an a plus as well i had a down but i think i'm gonna, <laughs> I think I'm gonna a plus <laughs> and then he very easily sells me on like anything <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. If you like Slayer Fest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and other places podcasts are found. You can support us on Patreon to get access to mini episodes and our private Facebook group. And it helps keep the podcast going. If you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98 on all platforms. I am at Ian X Carlos on all platforms. Anthony, where can everyone find you? Oh, uh, I am uh, Mia Koopa on most things, mostly Twitter. Um, M E A K O O P A. And Preeti, where can everyone find you? Uh, I am Run with Skizzers on most things on the internet, also mostly Twitter, and that's S K I Z Z E R S. I didn't know it was going to be important when I signed up. For it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also, you can you can buy Avengers Assembly orienta- Orientation on August 4th and Star Wars The Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark on August 25th. Please. Oh, nice. Congrats. You have two books coming out. That's awesome. Um, Alex, where can everyone find you? Um, you can find me at Vox. I feel like Twitter is a hellscape, so sometimes <laughs> you should not look for my tweets on there. But if you do, uh, you should follow me. Yeah. And wait for the OnlyFans, I guess. <laughs> um brett where can everyone find you, you find me on uh twitter and instagram at, at brett white b-r-e-t-t-w-h-i-t-e on instagram i post a ton of photos of all of my marvel Mar- marvel legends because that's how i'm coping with the pandemic is buying a lot of action figures <laughs> on ebay way overpriced i've spent same probably a hundred dollars getting this apocalypse build a figure complete jeez please. um and you can listen to my uh sitcom podcast must have seen tv where i talk about sitcoms of the 20th century and uh yeah we'll see you all next time thanks guys bye bye thanks